This is Jennifer Gonzalez welcoming you to episode 145 of the Cult of Pedagogy podcast. In this episode, you're going to learn about a more efficient, more effective way to give feedback to students. It's called flash feedback. Most teachers know that giving high-quality feedback is one of the most important things we can do to help our students learn. But knowing what's good for them and actually delivering it are two different things. The fact is, few teachers have class sizes small enough to allow for the kind of feedback that would really be optimal. So most of us aren't giving nearly as much feedback as we could be. And until the day arrives when our class sizes are just right for good feedback, we have three choices. One, we can run ourselves ragged trying to give as much individual feedback as possible, sacrificing a whole bunch of other personal and professional activities to make it happen. Two, we can throw in the towel, accept the limitations of our reality, and just give the bare minimum of feedback. Both of these are not very attractive options, but there is a third. We can make our feedback more efficient so it takes less time away from other things but still gets the job done. It's that third option we're going to talk about in this episode. Drawing from his work as a high school English teacher, my guest Matthew Johnson is going to share some of the strategies he has developed for giving feedback more quickly and more immediately when students are most likely to use it and learn from it. He calls this approach flash feedback. Before we get started, I want to thank ViewSonic for sponsoring this episode. ViewSonic has been dedicated to being part of the educational community for over 30 years. They want to help the millions of teachers and students finding themselves trying to learn from home. They are currently offering free access to their MyViewBoard digital whiteboarding software, giving teachers all the distance learning tools they need to continue to conduct classes. Now, MyViewBoard includes new features released for distance learning. Check it out today and get access at myviewboard.com slash distance hyphen learning. That's myviewboard.com slash distance hyphen learning. Support also comes from Parlay. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to have a class discussion where everyone, even the quietest students, participated? Well, it's possible with Parlay. I just recently discovered this instructional tool, and in fact, it was the tool more teachers recommended than any other last year, which is why I made it part of my six EdTech tools to check out in 2020. In a sentence, Parlay helps teachers facilitate rigorous, inclusive, and data-driven class discussions. Teachers can use Parlay during remote learning and when they're back in class to build community and foster meaningful collaboration. Through written discussion activities called online roundtables and verbal discussion activities called live roundtables, Parlay helps students develop true agency as they learn to introduce their own unique ideas, ask questions, and build on or challenge the ideas of others. There's also a library with hundreds of ready-made discussion prompts for teachers to choose from. Try Parlay for free at parlayideas.com and experience why thousands of teachers all over the world are raving about this amazing new tool. That's parlayideas.com. Now here is my conversation with Matthew Johnson about flash feedback. I want to welcome Matthew Johnson to the podcast. Well, Matt, welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. So we are talking today about 
flash feedback. And so before we get into the details, just give my listeners some idea of what your education background is. Uh, sure. So I am uh, right now remotely wrapping up uh, my 12th year of teaching. I, I never thought I'd have to say something like that. Hmm. Um, and the, the first uh, six years of teaching, I was a middle school and language arts teacher in California and Oregon. And then the last six, I've been a high school teacher of language arts back in Michigan, where I grew up. Uh, I'm also I'm also a, a writer, uh, and over the last three years, I guess I've kind of gotten known as the feedback guy. I've been writing about how to be more efficient and effective uh, when it comes to feedback for Edutopia and Ed Week and and National Writing Project and and some other places. Uh, and just over a month ago, I, I released a new book from Corwin Literacy, which I'm really excited about, called Flash Feedback: Responding to Student Writing Better and Faster Without Burning Out. Awesome. And the title of that book sort of speaks to like why I focus so much on feedback, um, because quality feedback is so important. Uh, it's like really important for creating student academic identities and building relationships and maximizing student learning. But it takes an incredible amount of time. And, th and thus, it burns out a lot of teachers. Um, and, and my ed school cohort, for example, uh, there was 13 of us uh, going to the University of Michigan to become language arts and social studies teachers. And after five years, there were just two left. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. Uh, and, and most of those who I talked to, because we were very close, uh, pointed to paper load uh, mm -hmm. as really being one of the main reasons why they left. Um, and it's heartbreaking, because I think they almost to a person would have just been fabulous teachers if they'd stuck around mm. uh, the kind of teachers that we need. Uh, and, and, and I um, my, myself was also on the edge for years. I mean, I, I, I felt like I would just pour all of this time and my weekends and my nights into feedback uh, and student papers and, and what I was doing. And then I just felt like my students never were never really grew the way I wanted them mm. to. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. And, and so, <laughs> uh, so about a decade ago, on a whim, I made my master's thesis about feedback. I was like, I think that feedback is the biggest thing. Uh, and I've been hooked ever since uh, on trying to find ways to sort of make feedback a smaller part of what a, of a teacher's life and nights and weekends and a bigger, more positive and impactful part uh, of a student education. Yes. And so you've basically covered one of the first things I was going to ask you, which is to sort of talk about what it what it was like before you came up with this system, which, and it sounds so familiar to me. This is the reason why, you know, people ask me sometimes, are you going to go back to the classroom? And I say, well, if I did, I'd have to stop doing what I'm doing now because there's no way you can be mm -hmm. an English teacher and then also do something else that's, you know, that takes a lot of time because being an English teacher, man, it just feed the feedback problem, I think hits English teachers absolutely the hardest. It, it does. Yeah. Uh, though what's funny is feedback, I mean, is sort of universal. I mean, I, I've yes. actually, uh, in, in, in writing the book and, and doing this, I've talked to a lot of teachers across a lot of disciplines and like every, feedback is an issue for everybody, yeah. uh, you know, K through 12, but you're right. English teachers in that paper load, I, they have those like special binder clips that are just made for English teachers that are like <laughs> oversized novelty clips. Yeah. Um, and, and so, uh, and, and that was me. I mean, for years, like my, especially, uh, in California, my first three years, mm -hmm. uh, I mean, it, it was like every night was like a late night yep. and an early morning. And I would take them to, you know, the, get an oil change. I'd be doing my, my, my commenting right, you know, as I was like, my car's getting an oil change or, you know, during my wife's hockey games. And I even had a friend who was like, is it another Sunday, no fun day? And Ugh. my friends used to call it that. Yeah. Sundays, uh, and, yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, and that was it. I mean, my, my social media um, at the time uh, had like pictures of me. This is California. We lived in Los Angeles area at the beach and hiking in the Redwoods. Um, but those things were like a once in a quarter thing. And, and my apartment, you know, you could actually, it was pretty close to the beach. You could see the beach, this little crack between these two buildings. Uh, and I used to just sit there at my desk and I can still just picture it so clearly. And I would just look out 
and I would see the beach sort of gleaming off in the distance. And I would look at the stack of papers and I'd be like, well, maybe tomorrow once I, I deal with these. Um, I'm picturing this like sad photo of you was, behind a window with like a single tear running down your eye. No, it really was. I mean, it was, it was just one of those things. Um, and, and, and the issue was that like at the time I had this really limited definition of feedback. Uh, I looked at it as a thing that it kind of had been in every class that I'd ever been in, which mm-hmm. is the students completed the papers. Uh, and then I, as the English teacher, took, had those oversized clasps and put them all together and took them home. Uh, and then I worked my way through them. I trouble, you know, shot errors and, mm-hmm. you know, I fixed everything I could find. And I left a big, long written record of my comments. Uh, and if you think about the logistics of that, like it's kind of absurd. Uh, so, so I currently have 158 students, uh, which is a lot of students, yeah. but it's not the most students. I, I, I've spoken to many teachers who have far more students than yep. that. Yep. Uh, and if you think about it, one minute of time of feedback per student equals close to three hours uh, of yeah. my time. Uh, and that means if I go through an essay in 10 minutes and I read it and then I respond to it, and that's super fast for an essay, right. that's like yes. blisteringly fast. Uh, that's still like 25 to 30 hours and that's mm. just for one paper. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and like there's, there's all, there are a lot of issues with what I just described. I mean, it's like finding and correcting everything, treating comments mm-hmm. as like a journal of my thoughts. Mm-hmm. We don't really have time to go into all those. I, I talk about them a lot in the book, but like, mm-hmm. I think the biggest issue was my notion that feedback was this big thing that you give in this big chunk on these big mm-hmm. assignments uh, mm-hmm. at the end of a unit test or a final draft. Um, and super that comprehensive you, that you sort of covered everything you could possibly cover every single time. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And, and, and if a teacher views feedback that way and that's their feedback, there's no way. I don't care if you work as many Sunday, no fun days as, as you can. Right. And then and go, you know, grade through as many, you know, oil changes or hockey games. It, it, you're only going to get to a few papers a semester like that. It's just yeah. not possible otherwise. Mm-hmm. So this is why it's so critical that, like, when we think about feedback, uh, we need to remember that, like, Feedback is just a teacher's response to something. Uh, it can be given in a multitude of different ways to different varieties of assignments. And there's a lot of ways that you can do it. Uh, ways that, uh, my term for this is flash feedback that can be both meaningful and given really quickly, like in a minute or two, uh, which allows us to actually give really regular and timely informative feedback, which are best practices when it comes to feedback. Uh, and still also be able to go to the beach on the weekends. Uh, I mean, hmm. that is if beaches were open right now. Um, right, right. Yeah. So let's talk about some of the key features of flash feedback. Okay. So uh, so flash feedback has actually been around for a long time. Uh, great teachers forever have been finding ways to, to have more meaningful and quick con- connections with students and uh, and have had, had too many students for forever, right? Mm-hmm. Um and, and one of the things I did in my studies, though, is I tried to figure out what are the characteristics of meaningful, quick feedback. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, what I kept finding again and again were four key uh, characteristics that most efficient and effective feedback tends to share. Uh, the first is that it focuses on one or maybe two learning objectives. Uh, there's actually a really long uh, history of scholarship that shows that even on bigger assignments like those end of unit tests or papers, uh, it's probably best to focus on just like one or two topics, a manageable number. Mm-hmm. Um, 
because throwing too many things at students too fast tends to overload them. Uh, and when you do that, they don't tend to learn any lessons deeply and you end up having to reteach those lessons the next right. time. Mm -hmm. uh, the, I actually talk about this with my students as well, because, you know, when they get a paperback and it's just focusing on a few things, sometimes they're kind of confused. Uh, so I, I use the analogy of actually a, a ball. I say, if, I, look, if you have a, one ball and you toss it to somebody slowly and deliberately, uh, your partner, even if they're not that coordinated, will probably catch it um, if it's a if it's a decent throw. Yeah. But if you have 20 balls and you throw them all at one time, they're probably just going to duck and not catch any of them. Yes. Uh, and sometimes I even demonstrate that in class, which is a lot of fun. I'll bring in a big you know, stack of tennis ball or mm -hmm. pile of tennis balls um, and students get a good laugh from that. But it's true uh, that, you know, uh, focusing on just a few things uh, is often the best practice for something small or large. But when it comes to flash feedback, having a singular focus or maybe two things you focus on is really key. Um, so that's the first. Mm -hmm. The second is that students do the heavy lifting and flash feedback. Uh, and so as teachers, we tend to fall into this trap, correcting all of the student work for students and doing a lot more reflection on the student work than the students are actually asked to do themselves. Uh, and just a few weeks ago, uh, there's uh, two famed English uh, language arts teachers, Kelly Gallagher and Penny Kittle, wrote an article uh, called The Curse of Helicopter Teaching. Uh, and they, they said it really well, where they basically said, like, helicopter teaching is where we jump in and we do something for students uh, because we are afraid that they won't be able to. And so we sort of clear out the path for them. Uh, but that's not great for learning because the students don't have to work for it. And if they don't work for it, they're probably not going to learn it. And then it also makes flash feedback impossible because that sort of troubleshooting and correcting takes a lot of time. Um, so for flash feedback, the students have to be the ones who are finding answers and who are uh, looking for patterns and who are kind of thinking about their approach with the teacher playing the role of the guide who's kind of well off to the side, mm -hmm. uh, who's helping them through this and helping them to structure that journey. The third uh, is that uh, flash feedback utilizes systems and technology. Um, Feedback often has a lot of redundancies, uh, and these can be mitigated through better systems and the use of really cool technological things. Uh, I'm going to talk about a few of those in a little bit here. Uh, and these little efficiencies are really important. I mean, if you think about my 158 students, mm -hmm. a 15-second increase in efficiency per paper saves me 40 minutes uh, wow. when taken on the scale of my 158 students. I mean, that's crazy, right? But yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and a teacher I know just yesterday sent me uh, an email that said fewer clicks equals efficiency. And she was talking about Google Classroom, but it's the same concept. Uh, if we can cut our clicks or not type the same thing over and over, those little savings add up to huge chunks of time in the long run. Right, right. Especially with that class load. Yeah. Exactly, right? Uh, and then uh, lastly, uh, you have to have some sort of spillover plan because there's always going to be some specific student needs that won't fit into whatever system or structure you have. And having some place for those to spill over into or some response that's set up will help make sure that there's not one or two individuals uh, whose needs derail the, the plan for the rest of the class. Um, and when you put those four things together, uh, it actually is pretty reasonable to give really meaningful feedback in a minute or maybe two at the most. So what you're going to share with us today, and this is what you've got in the guest post that you've also mm -hmm. written for the site, is three flash feedback strategies that have worked really well for you. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So um, go ahead and, and tell us what those are. Yeah, so flash feedback can take a lot of different forms, uh, but there are there are definitely three strategies that I find myself turning to like again and again. Um, the first one is something I call targeted response. Um, 
this is where a teacher focuses both an assignments like designs and assignments of the assignment itself and its feedback are solely focused on like one or maybe two learning goals. Uh, one of my favorite examples uh, that I, I like to to give for this is is one I do on my on commas because pretty much everybody in the universe has issues with commas. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And my students, like you know everybody else, uh, tends to struggle on them and not feel very confident in them. Mm-hmm. And I used to do what all my English teachers did for me, which is that I would circle, you know, every comma that I came across and we do a couple worksheets uh, on commas. Uh, and this took a lot of time and it never really led to much improvement in commas. Um, Now, uh, instead, uh, what I do is instead of circling commas in student papers and doing these worksheets, I just have my students write a short one page paper uh, on anything they want, or maybe I'll give them a, a fun or silly prompt or something like that. Um, the prompt doesn't matter so much, but what matters is that the only criteria for this is that the students must use at least four examples of the, of the various comma rules that we've talked about. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and they have to use, and they have to use them well. Uh, mm-hmm. and then they turn it into me and to speed up my assessment and my response to these papers. Uh, mm-hmm. what I do is I have them turn it on Google classroom and there's a, a find function, uh, command F that you can use and mm-hmm. you can just type in any word and it will highlight it. But the same thing's true for a comma. So I do, you know, command F, I put a comma in there and it highlights every single comma on the page. And I can just quickly scan. Uh, and if I see any, if, if it looks really good, uh, what I do is Google Classroom also has a comment bank uh, mm-hmm. where it's a little sidebar. Uh, and then the, the the post that, that I put, that I wrote for you, um, I have a link to a tutorial on that too, because it's got some pretty cool tools to it. Uh, and I just have two comments in it. The first one is one that if they got it all right, it just says, hey, great job. Uh, you got them all right. You know, you, you've got commas. Mm-hmm. And then the second one uh, says you have this many and you can fill in the blank. You know, you have three errors. Uh, and so go and fix them. Mm-hmm. And then when you think you've got them, turn them back in. And you can actually look at the revision history and see if they actually did the like specific ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I give them, and this is actually pretty key, I give them some time. So usually I'll do this right before a chunk of drafting time or before choice reading. And so if they have errors, they actually are doing this in class and then they can conference with me if they need to, uh, if they're really stuck on something. Okay. But nine out of 10 of the students will actually find, straight away find the errors and then fix them. And they, they learn those lessons pretty well because they have to sort of struggle and de- you know think about them. Uh, and this paper, by keeping the scope narrow on uh-huh. just commas, uh-huh. And by having my assessment be narrow on just commas and my feedback on just commas, uh, and by using those tech tools, uh, yeah. and by putting having the students be the ones who are actually doing the work, I mean, it's completely reasonable for me to go through an entire class set of 35 kids in under half an hour. Yeah. Um, you know, and what's cool is they learn more from that one paper on commas because they go deep on it and they're really thinking about it than an entire year's worth of me circling them in their papers and right. giving them worksheets and those things. Let me ask you something about this particular exercise because I know that it's going to come up in the minds of people listening. So mm-hmm. wh- first of all, is this an assignment for a grade in your grade book? Well, so... It's sort of a gradeless assignment. Uh, mm-hmm. We have grades, mm-hmm. but I, I like to avoid them when possible mm-hmm. uh, because they come with all sorts of issues. Yeah. Um, but I am required by my contract to give grades and my students expect them. So it's basically all or nothing where I just say, I'll give you credit for this once you fix them all. So in the okay. end, all the students end up getting credit for it. Or if there's really an issue, maybe then we'll probably have a short conference and we'll try and figure it out. But in the end, it's never happened where actually all my students haven't gotten credit for that. Uh, There's almost no way out, right? Because they're doing this during this drafting time. 
And so they go back and they fix, they, they fix the errors. And eventually by the end, they've got a completed, you know, one with no errors and they've done it all themselves. Mm -hmm. uh, and for me, that's okay to give full credit to. Um, so when you say full credit, is this one of those things that is, it, you said it was a grade list assignment. I'm, I'm taking us off on a little bit of a tangent, but there's yeah, no, so cool. many conversations about grading. And I think, yeah, I think a lot of people recognize the value of, I keep encouraging people to say, you know, do this thing as a practice with your students. Um, yes. But I'm curious and to hear how you actually handle that sort of in your grade book or in well and, and so in the grade book I, I have to you know I'm you know as I said by my con contract I'm mm -hmm. required to give points mm -hmm. so this is kind of my way because grades are really problematic in a lot of yes. ways uh, and I talk about that a lot in the, in the book as well and, and I mean if you went I, I guess I'll put it this way it's a very short kind of way of summing it up when you have a grade and feedback next to each other the students are going to pay more attention to the grade every single time. Yes. Uh, that's how they've been trained. Uh, and, and so it minimizes the impact of your feedback. So, and I, I believe you actually even had a post on this once mm -hmm. where you, if you just delay the grade, yep. that makes the feedback alone more uh, impactful. And that's absolutely true. In this case, it's almost like, look, we're all going to get a 10 out of 10, but you got to actually figure out commas first. Mm -hmm. uh, so they end up getting points at the end because I'm supposed to put in a grade per week. And I can put that in my grade book, right? That you got a 10 out of 10 on this and they did it. Mm -hmm. It's great. But it, it also has this grade list thing where this isn't about the grade. This is about figuring mm -hmm. out commas because that's a big deal. Mm -hmm. um, so it's either you know, a 10 or a zero, basically. They either, and they do it, they, they have multiple opportunities to get it right. And then they get the 10 points. Exactly right. It's a ten or a zero, and I actually don't really let you take the option of the zero. Right. So you're just gonna keep yeah. at them until they until they get it. Yeah, and that's the beauty of having this, like having a drafting time afterwards where they can conference with you. Is if a kid is really stuck, as opposed to just having them just throw it away, yes, and be like, "I'm done with this. I'm right there, right." So mm -hmm. I can come over and check in with them, and I can see that you know they haven't turned it in on Google Classroom yet, so I know who to go to without them having to raise their hand. Right. So. Got it. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Thank you for going down that down that road. With no, a it's a bit. super important road. I mean, it, it, you know, feed the inner the inter feedback. A lot of people make the mistake of actually saying that, like, I'm going to go grade papers when they're actually talking about feedback. Yeah. Feedback and grades are distinctly different things, mm -hmm. but they are related, and the interplay between them is really important to think about when yeah. you're talking about giving effective. Yeah. Feedback. And sometimes I feel like when we throw ideas out there in the education world, we we take it to about ninety percent, and people are like, "Okay, I love this idea," and then they think, "I don't know how to act." actually do this? <laughs> yeah. Like, how do I actually <laughs> totally. make it work in my system? So, okay. So that was targeted response. That was the first mm -hmm. of the yeah. three. Yeah. And targeted response is probably the most common. I mean, I use mm -hmm. it all the time. I love it. Uh, I, I think that it, it allows me to just, you know, have these just super regular moments of feedback where I'm connecting with students uh, without, and a lot of them are in class. Um, and so we're multiple times a week where I'm having real actual interaction. So I love that one. Yeah. Uh, a related one is one called microconferences. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I love this one too. Uh, and the idea is that conferences are, are an awesome pedagogical tool. They're one of the most celebrated and for good reason, right? It's, it's a one-on-one -on -one moment in schools that are rarely one-on-one -on -one where you can connect with students and give them individual feedback and fix misconceptions and, you know, hear them, you know, give them a, an opportunity to be heard. The problem is they also take a lot of time and the logistics like mm. feedback are pretty, you know, absurd as well. Uh, so I, my classes meet for 210 minutes a week mm -hmm. and I have 32 students. If I do a five minute conference, which is not long uh, with each student, that's almost a week of class time right there. Yeah. Uh, which, you know, and that th those realities limit the number of larger conferences I can do with everything else that I, I, I need to cover. Um, and so that's where the microconference enters. And a microconference, like targeted response, 
is a conference that's done in one or two minutes at a maximum by, again, having a smaller scope and being super carefully structured. Mm -hmm. Uh, And an example I really like to give for this one is one I do on paraphrasing, which is another one of these things like commas that's really hard for students and really important. Okay. Um, And the way it works is the whole class will be working on a research paper. And I like to do this when they're in the progress of their own papers. Mm -hmm. Uh, And maybe they've got a a draft written already. We look at like a mentor text. uh, So somebody who did a really good job of paraphrasing and maybe somebody who didn't do such a good job of paraphrasing it. And we talk about the, the, these mentor texts first. Uh, and then the students take pull up their own papers and they look at them. And I have them just pick a page where they have a fair amount of paraphrasing. And then they rate their paraphrasing on that page from one to 10 mm-hmm. uh, based on the things that we just read and what we just did. And then they have to write at least four sentences justifying that rating. Um, and this is usually done on a drafting day. And then so once they've written the four, they've given themselves the rating and they've justified it with their sentences, they raise their hands and I sort of go in the order that the hands pop up. And as they're waiting, they, uh, you know, they just continue with working on their draft. And when I come over, uh, what I say is I just start by saying, hey, like, what did you notice? What rating did you give? Why did you give that? Can you point me to it? And very quickly, students, because they've been thinking about this already, can dive in at this pretty deep level. And because they've already sort of figured out which sections are the key sections, they can point me right to it so I don't have to go hunting and pecking through their paper. Um, And then together, we sort of talk about paths forward, uh, and we analyze what they have there, we think about it, and I answer any questions. And what's cool is by having this structure and this focus, we can have a really deep, meaningful conversation about an important skill, again, in like a minute, Yeah. Uh, which means I can actually do this in one class uh, and get every student, uh, usually with some time to spare. Um, and that's again, because, you know, they've laid the groundwork, they've paraphrased, you know, they figured out what, what, what the paraphrasing, uh, what the, you know, like where their moments are that are troublesome and where the ones that are really good. And they can point me right to those things. Uh, and we can just, and then they lead and we can just, you know, do some incredible work in just about a minute. Yeah. Uh, Okay. So this leads me to ask Mm -hmm. about the concept of spillover, because I'm picturing myself doing this and I'm imagining myself getting to certain students where I look at what they have and I think, oh, we have kind of a a lot more work to do than a minute's going to actually cover. So would this be one of the strategies where spillover is really important? Spillover is essential. And I'm glad you you mentioned that. In microconferences, spillover, uh, having a spillover plan is absolutely essential. Okay. Uh, And generally what I do, you know, with the spillover plan is because I can do this with time to spare. uh, I have those students who are like, you know, really just kind of like stuck in in the weeds and they can kind of see all the other students around the room who are starting to raise their hand and and look nervously and apprehensively after them. And I I say to them, something along the lines of like, this is, you know, like your questions are awesome. This is really important. I got to make sure that I hit everybody here today. Uh, but all the time, once we're done with that, that you need is available for you. And in the meantime, and then you give them a very specific task to do right then. So they're not just sort of sitting there and, and waiting. Yeah. Uh, and usually I'll like look at like a specific line that needs work. And I'll say, hey, like, notice how you use the same words as your as the uh, original source, the exact same wording, just try and work on wording right now. And you give them something like that, that that's t- you know, tangible that they can do right now. But then you just make it very clear to them, I'm coming back for you, that you, what your, your worries and your struggles are important to me. They're meaningful. Mm-hmm. And so I'm coming back uh, and we're going to get through this with as much time as you need. Okay. Uh, but it also means that I can get to all those other students uh, while also validating that they, you know, that they have some questions that need to be answered. Okay. So do you get back to them that class period or does it happen some other time? 
Yeah, usually I actually build in about 10 to 15 minutes at the end of any micro conferencing. We have block schedules, which makes it a little easier, mm-hmm. but I tend to always over budget that time for those few students okay. because there's always going to be those few students. Uh, and oftentimes they have these really awesome, beautiful questions that are really important things that make me think and maybe revise my lesson for the next time. Yeah. Do you ever have them work together if you're really trying to, if you're really running out of time? Do you ever have one student go over and say, can you go and look at Jessica's paper? She did a really good job with this. I don't know if that's, uh, mm-hmm. you know, part it, of It your- depends on the the time of the year. So I, I do a ton of peer uh the, you know, uh, peer work on papers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't like to call it uh, peer editing because it's not editing. Right. It's, it's peer response. Oh, that used to drive um, me crazy. But, uh, <laughs> but I also, yeah, but I very carefully train them. I actually train them sort of like a writing center. So if we haven't done proper training, it's pretty rare that I'll have another student go do it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, if we're like into the second quarter or beyond and they've been trained up and they know it, absolutely, right? Like that's a perfect moment to, to get them together. Okay. Uh, and sometimes I'll even have kind of things where like they'll like micro conference with each other and then they'll you know have a macro conference with me in groups after that you know once once you've trained them in the, uh in peer response then that gets even more fun with this kind of stuff okay i'm guessing macro conferencing is something you talk about in the book yeah yeah okay. i mean there's a difference between like larger and you know smaller kind of that would be like a conference where you have more kids okay awesome okay so what is the third strategy so the third one is the one that I'm <laughs> most excited about mm-hmm. uh, because it's this cool educational concept that nobody seems to know about. I, I, I'm curious. Have you heard of it? No, before? I saw it. And I was like, what? No, I had not ever heard no. of it. It's fascinating. No one has ever heard of this. And I don't understand why, because it's awesome. Uh, and so the idea is that it's a, it's a practice that came out of Stanford and uh, University of Virginia, were sort of two of the leading uh, people uh, about five years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and the idea is that like... Be a student's identity and beliefs uh, are really, really important to how successful they are in class, um, and, and their and the behaviors and the the habits that they have. And these things can be really hard to change, but they can also be changed in the right circumstances remarkably fast. Um, by and what you do is you figure out the exact moment in these cycles that we get into that fuels and perpetuates this. So if a student feels like I'm not a good writer, mm. you notice, you find the exact moment where that is actually perpetuating that. And then the teacher, it's called a wise intervention because you intervene in this wise way at the exact right moment to disrupt that. And the second you disrupt these cycles at just the right moment, mm-hmm. it can have like a really remarkable impact. Um, probably the most famous study of this. And I know this is in, um, it's in like Angela Duckworth's you know book Grit, and it's in Paul Tuff's Helping Children Succeed. It, it's it's a somewhat uh, well known anecdote, but there was a study in Massachusetts where they got a bunch of middle school students and they had their teacher do their papers exactly the way they'd always been done uh, in terms of feedback. They didn't train the teachers to do anything different. And then they got half the papers and they put a sticky note in the teacher's handwriting that said, I'm giving you these comments because I have high expectations and I know you can reach them. And the other half got a neutral one. It was something like, I'm giving you these comments because so you can have feedback. Okay. And what they found is that the group that had the high expectation sticky notes did double the amount of revision. So it doubled the amount of revision that students did wow. uh, just from that one note. That's a couple seconds, right, yeah, uh, yep. of time. Uh, but you've doubled the amount of learning that's going on. Um, and the reason that they hypothesized that these students felt a lot of them might have felt like their teachers didn't really believe in them. These are middle school students. They might have felt like their teachers didn't believe in them. And when they got their work back was sort of the moment that was perpetuating that when they saw the, 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 the red pen or the low grade was the moment where they felt that teacher disappointment the most acutely and then the lack of belief. 
And so when they were getting ready for that, and then they saw this note that says, I believe in you, you got this. It was enough to displace those old feelings and that displace their old behaviors and open the door up for an entirely new suite of behaviors. Mm. Uh, which is a really amazing idea. Um, and there's actually a whole bunch of these things and they ha- some of them have some ridiculous results. Uh, and so I use a lot of these in my classroom. The one I use the most often with feedback, that sort of fits flash feedback. Uh, it comes from a, as a writer named Daniel Coyle who wrote the, the Culture Code. He wrote Talent Code and a few other things. Mm-hmm. But he had a study out of Harvard that found that when people were on a subway platform in New York City asking for to borrow a stranger's phone. The stranger was 422% more likely to let the stranger borrow the phone when the person asking simply said, uh, oh, I'm so sorry about the rain. Can I borrow your phone? As opposed to, can I borrow your phone? Um, And the reason that they gave, I mean, 422%, but it's a rather sort of like bland comment. Yeah. Uh, and, and, And the reason was that just that simple comment about the weather shifted sort of what was going on to being a relationship. Uh, and that changes nearly everything about how the brain responds to something. So, yeah. so somebody you're kind of in a small relationship with who you're going to borrow your phone, not some random person who you should be wary of. Mm. Um, and I found that doing this in feedback, finding uh, uh, taking a few seconds to sort of think back on that thing that that student said in class or that, that thing that you know about them or an aspiration they shared and finding a way to work that in really quickly. I mean, just in a few seconds at some point in the paper can do an awful lot for shifting how students and like, especially the students who are really worried about, you know, like their teacher or their writing or their work, uh, respond to it. Uh, it's kind of this cool little hack that makes a remarkable impact on how students respond. Uh, and it only takes a few seconds. Yeah. So really cool. what would be, uh, what would be an example of something that you would write on a student's paper that you feel maybe even something you've done in the past where you felt like it made a difference? Yeah, no, I actually, I mean, there's one recently. So, you know, right now in this period of emergency remote learning that we're doing, um, you know, it's been hard to get a lot of kids to to engage across the country. Uh, And I have a student who for most of this year has been pretty unengaged. But early on, I, I was exchange, I, in this period before our district figured out what we were going to do. I just exchanged letters with my students. So I had them write me letters and I wrote letters back to them, mm-hmm. kind of short letters on my part. But, you know, yeah, kind of these mini letters. Uh, but one student told me that his sister uh, was in New York and that she was a single mom and she had a seven year old uh, kid. And he was just worried about her being in this city that was falling apart by herself in this apartment with this little kid. And so he uh, kind of very begrudgingly turned in something once we started to move to forward instruction, which is what we're doing now. Uh Um, And my first thing was, hey, I've been thinking about your sister uh, and I hope that she's doing all right. Mm -hmm. And then I moved on. Uh, And what he has done more work for me in the last month, whereas a lot of students, it's been this struggle to get them to engage than he did the rest of the year combined. And you noticed Uh, a difference after that comment. Instantly. It was, it was instant. Wow. Uh, and, and all of a sudden he's like, you know, I've always wanted to write a paper on uh, the prison system in America and the problems with it. Uh, and then he started telling me about, you know, relatives of his and, and he's writing this amazing paper where he's researching all these things and he's asking like, okay, so how do you own your research? Uh, you know, uh, how do, how do I do that? What's that called again? Paraphrasing? How do you do that? Uh, and how right. do I cite this? And he's taken it super seriously. Yeah. Uh, and it really was that moment. Um, wow. You know, that's yeah. fantastic. <laughs> yeah, no. So, okay. So Matt, you have outlined all of these strategies in the post. So if people want to go and read about those, they can find that in um, episode 145 and it's on the blog on the podcast list. Yep. If they want to learn more from you, where can they find you online? 
So uh, probably the, bit, the most consistent places. I, I, I blog uh, weekly at MatthewMJohnson.com. Okay. Uh, and the M between Matthew and Johnson is really important because it turns out Matthew Johnson is the most common name in America. <laughs> uh, and there's already like 10 like pseudo famous Matt Johnsons or Matthew Johnsons oh, out there. Uh, so MatthewJohnson.com was not in my price range. Um, okay. <laughs> so the M is very important. MatthewMJohnson.com. Okay. Uh, and, and what I blog about there is uh, I blog a lot about writing because uh, I'm largely a composition teacher mm-hmm. um but it's also there are a lot of posts that are much bigger than that and then also about this notion of sort of finding balance and success as a writing teacher and as a teacher in general awesome um you know and also like when i'm not you know uh so i i, I think I, i've talked to you about this I've, i'm currently watching my kids during the day yeah. uh which means i'm doing all of my teaching in nights and weekends uh Gosh. which has been a challenge and actually the flash feedback has been sort of the biggest thing uh that has really helped me get through this because it's been allowed me to give meaningful feedback in really fast chunks of time because I don't have that much time. I'm sure a lot of the listeners are in the same boat. Yes. Uh, but when I'm not doing that, I'm also pretty active on, uh, on Twitter uh, at, uh, a, at A2 Matthew, so Alpha 2 Matthew. Okay. Um, Great. Yeah. And I'm going to have links to those on yeah. on the on your post and also a link to your book so that cuz now I now I want to go read about macro <laughs> too. So there's even more stuff that we didn't talk about that's going to be in that book. Definitely. Oh, yeah. A whole bunch. Okay. Um, Thank you so much for coming on, Matthew. I really appreciate this. Yeah, no, thank you. I really appreciate it. I've I've been a a huge fan for a long time, so this is a a great treat. Thank you. Thank you. For links to all the resources mentioned in this episode, including Matt's full post on Flash Feedback, visit cultofpedagogy.com, click podcast, and choose episode 145. To get a weekly email from me about my newest blog posts, podcast episodes, and products, Sign up for my mailing list at cultofpedagogy.com slash subscribe. Thanks so much for listening and have a great day.